You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. The Chicago Bears offense got obliterated by the Cleveland Browns in a 6-28 drubbing where while the defense played well, the offense, let's just say, did not. I'm joined by Jonathan Wood of DeBear's blog as we walk through a rough-and-tumble game on this episode of Bear With Me. What is going on, everybody, and welcome back to Bear With Me, a Chicago Bears podcast hosted by yours truly, Robert Schmitz, right here on the Windy City Gridiron podcasting channel. And holy moly, do we have a game to talk about. I'm here with DeBear's Blog's Jonathan Wood after I had promised you, Jonathan, the spot to talk about Justin Fields' first start, but... Let me just take a guess and say you didn't expect it to his first start to look quite like this. How are you feeling after today's game? Yeah, um, so I actually had an unexpected trip to the emergency vet for my cat this morning, but was happy to be home in time to go mm-hmm. to the to watch the game. Figured, you know, my day can't get any worse from here. May have been wrong about that, unfortunately. <laughs> so this was not the pick me up I was hoping for. <laughs> you know. I sat there after the game because when it comes to football, the most complicated part about it, Jonathan, is that I just refuse to let it make me legitimately sad. I've lived that life, right, where your whole Sunday is ruined because of one bad game. And after a game with nine sacks, one net passing yard in a passing league for crying out loud, there actually are some positives that we can talk about here in a little bit, but I'll tell you the first one just to get the show going immediately, right? At least this game was decisive because I felt like maybe the second sack was on fields because it looked to me like an RPO where he held the mesh point too long, got Green Dog blitzed, not not non-reminiscent of Trubisky's 2019 sack that he took uh, against the Saints, the big famous one, right, with uh, Cam Jordan bearing down on him with two guys wide open. I think it was Taylor Gabriel and uh, Anthony Miller. The point being, that's one play, and then there's eight more. And so, (laughs) past a certain point, it is absolutely beyond me how Matt Nagy continued to allow this offense to find its way into sack after sack after sack after sack without any max protect. And sure, we saw him try to move the pocket. We saw him try some I, things that your standard casual fan could come up with. But it is beyond me why Montgomery wasn't doing more in pass protection, why the Bears weren't finding more ways to do things to help protect the passer, because... I felt like they made it easy for this Cleveland defense the entire game long. And boy, oh boy, did that paper tiger Cleveland defense become a real jungle cat today, huh? Yeah. Um, I say hats off to Miles Garrett, right? The guy's an absolute stud, and he just dominated an inferior opponent today like you would hope to see from a player of that caliber. So to some extent, you have to tip your cap to him, although I would have liked to see more you know, schemes to run the play away from him and say more double teams. But I know he got, I don't remember if it was a sack or just a hit on fields when he was double teamed and like neither of them even slowed him down. <laughs> Sooner or later, you know, we expected this to be a bad offensive line, a really bad offensive line going into the season. And it was a really, really, really bad offensive line today. And I thought they waited too long to try to account for that. But then when they did and started doing rollouts and stuff, Cleveland was right there ready for it. And there was really, point. there's just nothing you can really do when you're that outmatched. Yep. 
one thing that really, really hurt, in my opinion, was I remember it was early in the second half, which I'm going to say this right now. The fact that it took the Bears until the second half to try a rollout, they only had 17 plays, and rollouts are not some magic answer. I do feel like around Chicago circles, rollouts are being treated like they are God's gift to offense and always result in completions. They don't. But the fact that with the offensive line getting annihilated like they were, the Bears didn't try to move the pocket any sooner. Let's just call it questionable and get to the later point. It looked as if Fields ran one rollout play, right? Miles Garrett comes straight at him because the Browns have been ready for play action and rollouts the entire game, right? And Fields just runs around him and tries to fit a ball into a super tightly covered window, which is a different discussion, you know, where the Bears wide receivers were completely incapable of separating based on what they had. And after that, anytime the Bears tried to roll out, two guys were on him. They didn't respect the Bears play action fakes at all. And sure, there's an aspect of it where I would look you dead in the eyes and say they could have easily been doing more play action from under center. Under center tends to sell the fake a little bit stronger. They could have found more ways to max protect, chip with the running back, anything. Nine sacks is ridiculous on 20 attempts for crying out loud. Like I'm, I'm left here, Jonathan, utterly speechless. Because Matt Nagy has been the primary coach that I have learned different things about offense within. And I know I started the game off saying, oh, you know, toss crack on third and two. That's really not an intrinsically bad play call. In fact, I don't know why Allen Robinson's not down blocking on his guy. But since then, the game just spiraled out of control. And I can't get out of my head, Jonathan, that... After two sacks in a single series, they continued to let Fields get sacked and then get sacked again and then get sacked again. I mean, it was – I think it, uh, reports are coming out that are saying that Justin Fields may have injured his hand late in the loss. And I'm sitting here like, who else am I going to blame that on? Am I really going to blame it on Jason Peters, who frankly showed up to help to bail the Bears out of having to start Elijah Wilkinson at left tackle? Like, who do I blame but Nagy and Pace? Right? Yeah. I mean, this was kind of a known huge issue going into the season, and it really reared its ugly head against one of the best fronts in the NFL today. Um, just want to especially shout out Matt Nagy mm-hmm. calling yet another pocket pass, slow developing play on fourth and 10, down <laughs> 20 with three left instead of punting the ball that led to the ninth and final sack. Like, what are you doing? Your QB has already gotten killed today. Rookie in his first start who you're trying not to like ruin forever and you just go get him destroyed again. Like what do you expect to happen in that situation? <laughs> I just don't get it. The game was over. There was no point to that play call. <laughs> I it's beyond me. It really is. And I have to highlight because I, I kind of mentioned this at the start of the show, but we missed rule of three this week, so I didn't get a chance to gush about how much I love the Browns defense. Like, Miles Garrett, Jadavian Clowney on the front end are dominant. And then you've got Denzel Ward, J- Greg Newsom, John Johnson, and more on the back end. Like, they're a very, very good team. So... Just just to call, try to be as moderate as possible, right? Like, if we just get negative, where we're not being moderate enough to be realistic, it's not going to be this bad forever. But goodness gracious, one net passing yard in a league that's trying to give passing yards away, for crying out loud, that is ridiculous. One screen late in the game picked up nine yards. The Browns have been running screens against the Bears' defensive line all freaking game. And the Bears just apparently didn't think about running a screen until the very end of the game. And that's not to say it would have worked. It really isn't. Like, the Bears' screen game has been terrible since Nagy's been in Chicago. It's never gotten better. But it just felt as if, for crying out loud, the Bears were out of answers. They had no ideas. And Justin Fields gets sacked nine times. Sounds like he might be hurt. I think he's a better and more resilient player than getting like his whole career thrown off by one game. But suffice to say, pretty much as terrible a start as you could have asked for, right? Yeah, I actually um, tweeted out something shortly before the game that Fields was going to be the 56th uh, QB to make his first career start on the road since 2010. 
and I tweeted out some stats about the other 55 that by and large the performances weren't all that great. So like I wasn't expecting him to like you know drop 400 yards and five touchdowns or anything like that today. But I was looking this up again after the game and him percentage was the worst of any on that list. His yards per attempt was the worst of any on that list. And his passer rating was not quite the worst. There were a few that turned it over a bunch and were worse than him, but he was like bottom five or six or so out of 56 guys. So it was a certainly historically not a, a sparkling debut. But the good <laughs> news is that like that first game isn't really indicative of all that much in terms of career outcomes. Like uh, Ryan Tannehill was bottom five in most stats off that list. There was... Like, A.J. McCarron was up towards the top. Brock Osweiler had a great debut. Andrew Lux and Russell Wilson's were both terrible. So I said this before the game, and I want to emphasize that now so that it doesn't feel like I'm just copying out and trying to be, like, pro bears um, now. But that first game, like, you don't want to judge too much on it in either direction. And I'd be saying the same thing if Justin Fields had actually, like, looked like an MVP today. Right. Exactly. I mean... That's I think that's where I'm at, right? You, you're summing it up well. That don't get me wrong, I'm a Bears fan. I wanted Justin Fields to throw for 400 yards and five touchdowns, right? I wanted that magic trend-breaking game. But it, then Cleveland's defense comes online, and you're like, okay, so this isn't going to be good, you know? And then to end the game with one passing yard, I mean, I can't think of a decent image. I I, I generally have images for these kinds of things, but. I feel like when it gets that low, there's a lot more at play than just your rookie quarterback struggled. And don't get me wrong, he might have gone up against one of the best defenses in the league. The Browns looked absolutely incredible today. They got everything they wanted, but one passing yard. I keep coming back to that, and I come back to the fourth down of the fourth and two decision after they got a gift off of. I think we could probably agree a bit of a weak call on John Johnson to get a 48-yard defensive pass interference that just shunted the ball down into the red zone. When Nagy had the opportunity with the score at 3-13 to with a 4th and 2, that who's to say it would have been easy or even a high percentage play, but if he had gotten that, sets the Bears up for a touchdown or even gets them into the end zone outright, makes that game 10-13, to and at least you're trying it felt as if Nagy chose to make to say my defense just isn't going to give up anything else, and I I couldn't help but feel like that decision was cowardly at the time, and probably still cowardly now, especially in a league that, as we saw from Kevin Stefanski, is getting bolder and bolder and bolder on fourth down every single week. Yeah, I really thought that kicking the field goal there was just trying to generate anything positive for the offense. Um, yeah, that, that pass interference, I mean, he pushed off. That's one of those that probably if that pass falls incomplete, the refs don't throw a flag. But because it was the interception, they felt like they had to because he shouldn't have gotten the interception. And so, like, yeah, okay. But you just kind of you, you get points off that drive, and then you can say, well, at least we had two scoring drives today instead of if you get nothing there, which let's be honest with how their offense played today, they probably aren't scoring there, even though I agree it was the right call to go for it. Think that was more of a admitting they've already lost the game and just yeah. trying to be able to leave with some silver linings. <laughs> I guess I guess therein lies the problem, right? Say or I feel like head coach, and I'm not normally this rah rah head coach gotta do guy, you know, but the head coach saying we already lost this game when your defense is putting on a clinic on the other side like that's what we haven't talked about this bears defense came to play against cleveland and they battled the browns i think better than anybody has this season they looked a very good cleveland they made a very good cleveland offensive line look honestly pretty pedestrian shut down the run robert quinn came online out of absolutely nowhere like they looked ferocious 
even when Mac was hurt and Hicks was too tired to play because he looked like he was gasping for breath. No worries. Number 97, Mario Edwards rips right through the line and sacks Baker Mayfield on a key third down that pins the Browns outside field goal range. I mean, they did everything. They did everything except take the ball away, which I think is credit to the Browns for not giving it away because it takes two to create a turnover. The fact that Nagy pushed away from this second or from that fourth uh, fourth down decision told me that he was just asking too much of a defense or giving up and I did not like that to say the least but we've talked a little about the fourth down what did you think of the defense did you see the same sparkling performance that I did absolutely um Cleveland had 13 points going into the fourth quarter when they scored 30 in each of the first two weeks and you might look like oh well they got 26 but the defense just got gassed in the fourth quarter because the offense kept going three and out and having to punt the ball. I looked that up after the game, and Cleveland had the ball for like 10 seconds short of 40 minutes on the day. And so they were already at about 30 minutes going into the fourth quarter. And so the defense just got gassed. But before that, they were really, really good. Um, I kind of wrote this week, I did a bit of a look at Cleveland's offense and they really want to run the ball to set up the pass. They, they want to stay ahead of the chains and in balanced situations where they can keep you off guard. And Chicago just completely took that away from them for the entire first three quarters that Cleveland just went away from running the ball. They, they stopped trying after about the first two drives because they couldn't. And that's why then they were getting behind the chains and playing right into the bears hands and their defense I got to eat some crow on this one because I said going into the season that I didn't think their defense would be very good this year. And I took some victory laps about that after week one against the Rams. But the last two weeks, they have really, really impressed me and played at a level that I didn't think was possible with how bad I think their secondary is. And I think one thing that could easily become overrated about this defense, because we just do we do need to call it out. Most offenses are going to be more like the Rams, right? They're going to be set up to pass the ball and they have a running component. The Bears are currently set up to play teams like Cleveland that are the opposite, that they run first to set up the pass. Because their defensive line, even without Eddie Goldman, might be one of the strongest defensive lines in football. Their secondary really struggles, but I can't help but tip my hat to Sean Desai for what he's doing with the Bears' pattern match zones, consistent confusion up front. Sean Desai is getting as much as he can out of a defense that's seeing Jalen Johnson rise into the ranks of maybe some of the best corners in the game. I'm not trying to say he's the best just yet, but he's at least entering that top 15, top 10 conversation. He looks great and with the bears getting the pressure that they have over the last two weeks which i thought since he was one thing right their offensive line's not dissimilar to the bears they're practically putting a bunch of backups out there but to do this to the browns goodness gracious like you're saying i didn't think that a a team that was i think 22nd in passer pass rush like pressure rate whatever it is last year with functionally the same players, was going to rock it up like they have, but they looked ferocious. Yeah, and I think part of that goes to Sean Desai, who I I don't have the numbers on this, but I'm pretty sure he's like blitzing more and just mixing up the pass rush with stunts and things like that than um, Pagano did the last two years. But also, I can't believe we've gotten this far without mentioning, oh, you did earlier, but Robert Quinn gotta tip my hat to him you know he had i think two more sacks today he's up to like 4.5 on the year already through three games he is really having a pretty nice bounce back after a pretty down year last year and i thought today was easily his best game as a bear so far he was just kind of a menace off the edge oh yeah i mean Robert Quinn has always been a funny one for me because I would argue that the most known thing that I did was make a video when we signed Robert Quinn about how he was that third piece to the Bears pass rush and then he was a ghost in the 2020 year, in the 2020 season. So I feel like I can't really bring him up 
thank you for bringing it up because he looks like exactly the player that I was anticipating he would be. He looks quick. He looks like that turf toe injury really took a lot of juice out of his sails last year because right now, I mean, whenever Sean Desai has lined up Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn on the same side, they've got an instantaneous pressure. Like, I love the way that Desai is deploying them. He's not being boring about it, and I think that's really cool. But there's an aspect of you've got to tip your hat to Quinn, who looks faster. He's drawing double teams again. He's helping set up the rest of his team. And honestly, he's even playing not bad run defense. He looks like a man who's trying to not get cut from a huge contract. And I don't blame him. And I'll take the production, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, If he keeps playing like this, he definitely gets at least another year in Chicago because they could cut him and save a little money next year, but they'd eat a lot of dead money to do so. And if he keeps being like a high quality starter, it doesn't really make sense for them to do that. So that would earn him his like $15 million salary for next year or whatever that is. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But yeah, I mean, obviously the story of this game is the offense and what really bums me out, like we could, we could circle back for a third time before we've even hit the break on one passing yard, but let's leave that for the back half. This even sadder part is that through the first half, they weren't running the ball badly. Like, don't get me wrong, 3.7 yards per carry is nothing to go throw a parade about. 4.1 if you add Justin Fields' run. But it's more to say that this passing game was so unbelievably non-functional and lifeless that it even took the wind out of whatever running game the Bears were able to produce with a line full of James Daniels has looked okay, but you've got a UDFA, a guy who was cut by Seattle and looked like it today with another costly false start there near the end of the first half in Jermaine Afedi, a guy who came off of a fishing boat that again looked like it. 39-year-old Jason Peters, by the way, I, I feel like I have to say this. Whenever I'm coming after Sam Mustafer, who's a UDFA, it's not even it's not that I'm coming after Mustafer. I'm coming after Pace, who said a UDFA was good enough to start with my new rookie. I'm I'm coming after the guy who put the team together, not Jason Peters, who had functionally retired and then came back to play for Chicago so that Elijah Wilkinson didn't. It's not about the players themselves, per se. It's about the team construction. And that I think you would agree with me, J-Dub, we could see this from orbit coming into this season, that games like this were going to come, especially against the 49ers defense, which has plenty of pass rushers to boot. The Lions are not terrible defensively this season. The Packers have plenty of weapons in Zedarius Smith, Kenny Clark. Like, there is enough in the division alone, without even bringing up the Vikings, Daniil Hunter, and the other players that they have, to warrant offensive line concerns. The Browns game was always circled for me as... This was going to be a problem, but gracious alive, it just feels like the Bears steered right into it, you know? Yeah, and that's, I mean, this is where the the Tevin Jenkins back injury really hurt so bad because they were banking so much on him. I mean, basically have two guys on their offensive line right now that they have anything invested in. They gave Whitehair a big contract. They drafted James Daniels in the second round. Everybody else is an undrafted player or a cheap cast off from another team. And you just expect your offensive line is going to be terrible out of that. And we've, well, unfortunately as a bears fan, I have plenty of experience in knowing that a terrible offensive line kind of screws your entire offense over. Mm-hmm. And, and it hurt. And before we go to break, I feel like the hardest part about watching this was that Justin Fields to me looked like a rookie within this situation. Like, Fields is one, if you could call it a knock coming out of school, is that he was not Mac Jones in terms of so much experience playing inside of a a very standard RPO system that he was going to make these quick reads and basically play the NFL-style quick game quickly, or, like, effectively, right? We knew Fields could make intermediate throws. We knew Fields was very, very accurate when he threw the ball. We knew Fields could make a deep throw just about from anywhere on the field, but I think we also saw at OSU that they didn't utilize quick game partially because I don't think Fields liked it 
even his RPOs take a little bit longer. And it felt like the big mesh that really blew this game wide open was that with Fields playing about a half second slow and the offensive line playing as bad as they were, which allowed the Cleveland defensive line to speed things up an extra half second, it looked to me as if from a schematic standpoint, Fields just never had a chance. Like, maybe Dalton could have rescued bits and pieces of this game by just ch- like just ditching the ball. Because honestly, he does not throw far. You've talked about it before on Twitter that I think Dalton's like average target distance is like five yards or something. Like this is this is a very what did you say four point two? <laughs> but yeah, like Dalton is a short thrower, but at least he'll get the ball out. With Fields, it looked as if. I don't know whether it is an inability to adjust to the players around them, which is like straight off of the hot take line from Twitter or what, but it felt as if Fields was just never going to have a chance within this game plan as if they had asked him, okay, Fields, um, you're not playing quickly, but we, we need you to just speed up. And I don't know, that that just burns me up inside <laughs> talking about it. To be fair, I think Fields did speed up quite a bit in the second half. So, like, the first half, they had nine called dropbacks. Four of them were sacks. One was a scramble. So less than half of his dropbacks did he actually get a pass off. Um, he, had, he got 16 passes off in the second half, and he did a lot of, like, the short, quick stuff. The issue was almost every time he was throwing to somebody who was covered, sometimes double covered, on, like, a little three-yard out. Like, and this is where, like, it's so hard to tell from just watching the, the TV feed. You need to have the all 22, but it just felt like nobody was open at all. Like, Cleveland was just all over them. And so, yeah, you have no time and nobody is getting open. But I don't know how you can really evaluate anything from fields in this game. I don't either. I mean, we'll have to go to break because we're hitting about that time. But this is one of those where I, I guess my feelings you tell me if you think i'm being a homer but i can't put any of this on fields because the whole offense looked so so bad around him wide receivers offensive line like the passing attack specifically that i don't look at these nine sacks and think to myself well fields should have clearly done better you know what i mean yeah again it's hard to tell from a first watch but a lot of them it was like he hits his drop like, you know, his three, five, whatever step drop, and there's somebody, sometimes two guys on him right away. Like, I don't know what he's supposed to do, but that's where I'm really, really curious to see Lester Wilfong's sack watch this week because I want to see him break down all nine of those. Uh, first, advanced props to Lester for having to take the time to do that. I'm sure he's working overtime for that. <laughs> he does a really good job of breaking those down and showing what happened, and I want to see what happened on those plays and where the dysfunction is is it just guys getting beat is it a schematic thing that this is going to be a lot of sacks happen is this going to be a lot of on fields that he didn't get it out quick enough or didn't make the right read or something or what i just want to have somebody really break that down for me on those nine plays and so i can get a better idea for what exactly happened here Mm -hmm. and like you're saying when it comes to detailed schematic breakdown We're going to need the all 22 for it. But either way, you know, as well as I do, John, like we've got a six to 26 loss on our hands. We've got a Andy Dalton who, according to some reports, might be ready to play as early as this next week. There is a lot of where do we go from here? We have to talk about. And after the break, we'll do just that. Listeners, we'll see you on the other side. I want to tell you guys about a fun game called Thrive Fantasy, which combines the fun of daily fantasy sports and the rush of making prop bets. And what it is, is a daily fantasy sports and esports app for player props, so you can eliminate the countless hours of research and focus on only the top-tier athletes that will have the biggest impact in every game. Here's how it works. You'll choose 10 out of the 20 available player props to build your lineup, and each prop is assigned a fantasy value for both the over and the under based on how likely it is to hit. Thrive has over 140 grand guaranteed prizes for NFL's Week One and has already awarded over four million dollars. And Thrive has a featured 100 grand guaranteed contest that just costs 20 bucks to enter, and first place will take home twenty thousand dollars. 
Just use our promo code WINDYCITY when you sign up today, and you're going to get 100% instant first deposit match up to $100. Free money is always good. Just download Thrive Fantasy on the App Store or Google Play Store, or go into the website www.thrivefantasy.com. And remember, sign up with our promo code WINDYCITY. Good luck and prop up today. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L. V-A-N-29.com. And we are back with Bear With Me. I'm Robert Schmitz talking to DeBear's blog's Jonathan Wood, the statistician that honestly gets us a ton of the data that we use around Bear's circles. And so thank you so much for that, by the way, Jonathan. I never feel like I thank you enough for all the work that you do. But now we got to talk about where do we go from here? Let's talk gut call speculation because the game was what the game was. Do you think this is the kind of game where Matt Nagy sticks with Justin Fields going forward or tries to make a switch back to Dalton? I think the number one factor to determine that is honestly if Dalton is healthy. Because we've heard conflicting reports on that even today. Some people saying he could be back next week, but Adam Schefter said he's going to miss some more time. But I know they didn't put him on IR, which would be at least three weeks. So they think he can be back at least either next week or in week five. Next week's four. Yeah, so like sometime in the next two weeks. Um, I think if Dalton's healthy enough to go, Nagy is going to look at today and go straight back to Dalton. Because like you were saying earlier, all of those four-yard passes that go nowhere at least are more, more aesthetically pleasing, even if they only lead to 14 points in a game and a half. I mean, exactly like you're talking about, I feel like that's that's the most complicated part of this. That's the part that frustrates me the most is that I have absolutely no idea if Andy Dalton would have done any better against this uh, this defensive front. But I do think things might look might have looked a little bit less lifeless. The other thing that I think is kind of funny about it is that there's a decent chance that if Dalton just sort of gets the ball out, takes the snap, gets the ball out, takes the snap, gets the ball out. At least we would have been able to either A, blame the wide receivers, or B, score enough to keep up with Cleveland's paltry 13 points. It's not that I think Andy Dalton's good. It's that maybe Matt Nagy only knows how to call one type of game, that being a West Coast offense when it comes to protecting his offensive line. And Dalton can play that game. Fields is never going to. Like, if you were to design an offense around Fields' talent, it's just not going to be West Coast. And so, I don't know what happens next, but I will tell you that I am right on the line. The coin is standing on its side between, I want to see Fields play more so that he can continue to get experience, and saying, I don't think Justin Fields needs to be anywhere near this offense, I don't know what he'll learn from it, and he can't get hurt on the sidelines and running scout team in practice. Where are you feeling? Do you want to continue to see Justin Fields? Or is this the kind of game that has you thinking, stay stay the heck away? I really want to see Fields next week against Detroit. Just because I was really intrigued by what I saw from him in the second half against Cincy. He took, I think, four or five deep shots and 13 passes. And never connected on any of them due to like just missing with some guys he was out of sync with because he hadn't practiced with them or straight up drops by players. But I want to see him go against you know a defense that doesn't have Miles Garrett and one of the best pass rushes in the NFL um, and also is a pretty bad secondary and just 
see if when he has a little bit of time what he can do with making plays down the field. I, I want him to get a chance to go against a defense that he can actually have some success against and hope that we can see that. Because I felt he was really close to really lighting up the box score against Cincinnati last week. And I think he could do the same against Detroit. To your uh, point. Potentially. To your point, I feel like there is an aspect of overreaction where I even I said it at the start of the show, like they're not going to be playing Cleveland every single week. And while this could very well be the final domino to fall that really pushes Matt Nagy out the door eventually, that doesn't mean that they aren't playing the Lions next week. With that being the uh, that being maybe the worst team that they'll have on their schedule, right? Even the New York Giants look somewhat feisty. And with their offense where it is, I mean, it's just, it feels so impossibly hard to judge where their offense is even at. Because I know last week, it felt as if they had, they were, they had fields running, quote unquote, Dalton's game plan. And quote unquote, I mean, I think I even said this, we need to see him next week with a game plan tailored to him. And if memory serves, there were even interviewers that had talked to Nagy saying, we had figured out how to tailor this game plan to fields. And if that was the plan, I mean, I can't imagine being in the meeting room after the fact where John DeFilippo, Bill Lazor, Matt Nagy, and the rest of the offensive staff come together and say, okay, so... It turns out we had no answers. The gotta, I hope, now that you mention it, that he does get the game against Detroit. I don't think there's any way it could be worse than this one. And in fact, I think that, like you're saying, he really could do quite well, especially if the offensive line provides him the time that he had against Cincinnati. But we will have to see, because ultimately it's out of our hands. Did the did today's game move the needle at all for you with Nagy, or were you already on the boat of let's push him out the door? So I've been – it didn't really change what I've been feeling about Nagy. Actually, you put me kind of on to this last year when with your description of Nick Foles as a mirror, which I really liked last year. Um, being that, like, he's not going to elevate or drag down an offense. He's just going to reflect what's around him. Um, and you know, that mirror showed some ugly things, um, particularly about Nagy. I thought last year was really the year to make the judgment on Nagy because he got his quarterback, his hand-picked quarterback. He didn't have the Trubisky excuse anymore, and he could not make it work with Foles at all. So at that point, I was completely out on Nagy as a play caller, even though I think he does some really good things as a head coach overall. Um, I am pretty out on him as an offensive co coordinator, and... I mean, today certainly didn't do anything to change that belief. <laughs> that makes plenty of sense. I mean, especially given that as we watched this game and Foles, I think it was Foles specifically that got caught on camera. I don't know if you saw this saying this offense ain't working like the you could even make the argument that maybe what Nick Foles was saying in that early presser when he finally got the mic and basically just lambasted everything about like working with Nagy from an offensive perspective. Maybe he was telling us a little bit more of the truth than we wanted to hear or that I know I wanted to hear given that I was still all high on fields. But like you're saying, this may be I don't know to cut back to the real meat of the bone here how Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace justify a performance like this to George McCaskey, who watched the same game we did and watched the Bears put up. Did did Brad Biggs say it is their worst offensive performance since 40 years ago? I think I saw 1981 as the date um, in terms of yards gained, which I think points is probably a better evaluation of the offense. But yeah, whatever. Yeah, I, I agree, but at the same time, like we all said at the end of last year, how in the world do the McCaskies look at that six-game losing streak and then ending the season with back-to-back -back blowout losses where the offense went right back, back to looking completely inept as soon as they were no longer facing the Jaguars or Texans or Lions. And yet here we are right again with the exact same people calling the shots. I, If they didn't get fired after 2020, I don't see how they get fired now that they have fields to point to as the future. You have to give them time to evaluate with him you can't do that based on a rookie i really don't think especially because if it doesn't go well the immediate future they're they're going to go back to dalton and stick with him for as long as they can i can only hope jonathan that in this case specifically 
owners talk to each other. We know that much, right? The McCaskies have their friends, and they all watched what happened in Los Angeles just last year as Anthony Lynn, who's now an offensive coordinator that's actually getting praise for the work he's doing in I can't remember where. I just know that their offense doesn't look absolutely horrible. He got fired after handling Justin Herbert in a way that ultimately led him to offensive rookie of the year and he still ended up out the door at the end of the like at the end of all proceedings we'll have to see what happens because this was the kind of finality moment that i know i needed where at, up till this point i was completely ambivalent on whether or not he stuck around i would love to pretend like i cared but i would tell you with an upfront face that I think things got better, or th- I, th- I would have thought things would have gotten better with Justin Fields, even just some schematic betterness. It didn't have to be instant results, but better than what we just saw. And yet, I had a feeling that the Brian Dabbles, the Joe Brady's, the Greg Romans of the world, that somebody else could do at least as good, right? It wasn't as if Nagy was sparkling. So, this was the game that maybe I needed it, just to remind me, I think this is over. Like, this Nagy era has got to... I don't think... I don't know. I'm sitting here wanting to act like it's over, Jonathan, and yet I know, you know, and the chat knows that the George McCaskey ownership just makes this so murky because I can't really predict what he is going to do, you know? Yeah, we all thought it was over last year when they lost to the Lions and got humiliated by the... Packers and and you know apparently Darnell Mooney had a decent rookie year and that was enough to keep him around good collaboration whatever the <laughs> horrible press conference back conviction was. fired up yeah yeah they they really seem to like Ryan Pace and well maybe Ryan Pace tries to make Nagy the sacrificial goat this year I, I don't know right who knows <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm certainly not going to say that this week three game was the nail in the coffin because we all thought that mid season last year and somehow that wasn't the case. So fair enough. They will, I'm sure like finish, finish strong fields looks good. The last two weeks, maybe Larry Borum plays the last couple of weeks and doesn't look terrible. And then they can pitch that we've got these promising rookies and you got to give us another chance and that'll be good enough. Who knows? Yep. I mean, to your point, I am being way too relaxed to act like the door hadn't already shut, you know, that somehow Fields would just breathe so much life into the offense that Nagy would suddenly ascend. But, hey, that's how it goes when you cover the team sometimes. But getting back to this specific game, so, like, getting away from the narrative of what it was, let's talk, like, the player that you thought, if you were going to give you game balls out, right, Let's say you've got an offensive and a defensive game ball. Who would you give your defensive game ball to? I think that one's pretty clearly Robert Quinn. I mean, he was all over. He had two sacks, a couple more pressures or QB hits. Hat tip to Jalen Johnson, but Robert Quinn for sure. Since I get a second game ball, I'll give it to Jalen Johnson. I didn't expect him to do as well as he did against Odell Beckham Jr., which, hey, Odell is an awesome receiver. Like, he could stop on a dime, as we saw in the very start of the game, right? Where he ultimately, I think he basically robbed DeAndre Houston Carson inside of his own zone of a first down. But Jalen knocked away a couple passes. Jalen got his hands on a ball that could have been intercepted. I mean, he got about as much as he gave against a receiver. I would tell you was a bad matchup for him. And at the end of the day, like that's exciting because he can be a building block going forward. But now we have to talk about the offense. Yeah. All right. Real quick. Sticking with Jalen. Um, I thought it was interesting. He was shadowing Odell Beckham today, swapping sides. He didn't follow him to the slot, but I think that's the first time they've done that with him, that he had just stuck to his side before. So I was really happy to see that and that he responded well and was able to cover well on both sides. I'd like to see them use him that way more going forward, given the pretty sizable gap between him and the other corners on the roster. Mm -hmm. But now we have to talk about offensive, Jonathan. (laughs) <laughs> you have to give someone a game ball. Do you want me to start, or do you have somebody in mind? For it. If if you made me, I would probably give one to David Montgomery, 
because I think assuming that we don't do the quarterback thing, right, where we say Justin Fields had the most yards gained on the day because we don't take his sacks away, David Montgomery was really the only offensive player that I would argue performed at or above his station. Low bar, but we're talking about one of the worst offensive like performances that we've seen in the eras, over eras, over eras. So I'll give it to the running back who did not play badly and took his or took two passes. I think he made like 20 yards out of them and took a couple handoffs for probably 40 to 50 yards. I can't quite remember off the top of my head, but he was probably the only player that I would say looked like himself in a day where Allen Robinson got absolutely shuttered. Dave Darnell Mooney was nowhere. I don't think I heard Goodwin or Bird's name uh, and Cole Komet failed to separate for his third week in a row. You know, we did hear Goodwin's name once when he failed to come back on the comeback route on that one yep. rollout, and thus what a 15-yard gain turned into an incompletion. Yep, there it is. Um, yeah, Monty be mine with basically those same words. So <laughs> really nobody else to go to. So I'm going to take an unusual route in this one, and I'm going to give a game ball to Justin Fields because he got the shit beat out of him for <laughs> 60 minutes but kept getting up and trying again. So hats off for that at least i guess i i feel like there there is an aspect of just perseverance right where i don't know what this does to matt Nagy and justin field's relationship you can't imagine it's good right i tend to doubt that they sat in these offensive meetings and thought okay so the game plan justin is that you're gonna be, get the tar beat out of you and um it, it'll get better it'll get better next week like there's no way that was the plan so I give some credit to the rookie for getting this one out because it was it was nasty. But oh gosh, any final thoughts as we wrap up headed into our uh, first divisional matchup? It can only get better. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to be worse than one net passing yard. I guess theoretically it's possible, but I, I it's pretty. <laughs> likely that at the end of field's career we look back and this is his worst game mm-hmm. i mean how does it not get worse <laughs> or how does it get any worse i don't want the answer to that i feel yeah. like I was say, I suppose he didn't turn the ball over at all so right. he could have those like four or five turnover games that would probably be worse than this but... probably but even then maybe i'd just be happy he was trying something in the, really, the only thing that I think I could say about this one as we wrap it up is I feel like this was pretty definitive. Like, if you weren't out, like capital O out on Matt Nagy, you probably are now. And I don't think that's the wrong place to be. Schematically, there's just too many things that he's been stealing from McVeigh and Shanahan that he could have done in this situation to make it better than it was. Or at least make things feel a little bit less utterly pitiful. You know, because it felt like past a certain point, the sacks were just a given. The Browns lined up in a bare front at one point, which means five down linemen. And I remember thinking, okay, so this is a sack. And it was like we get, we really got to the point where you could call sacks out because it was a one on one matchup. I think James Daniels lost to Miles Garrett and it was over like this was this was pitiful. And I really wouldn't pin it on fields because don't get me wrong. It's not like he was conventionally good if you graded him on a snap to snap basis, but I really don't think that that's fair to talk about for a rookie quarterback playing with no help whatsoever. But so my final thought, I guess is that in the big picture, the funny part about this game, Jonathan is that here we are one and two uh, going into the lions game, just like we anticipated. It's it's been a rocky road to get here, right? Where we got demolished by the Rams, bad defense, decent offense, and then we got demolished by the Browns, horrible offense, great defense. But we're one and two all the same. And Justin Fields is currently set to start that game, so technically we're on the right track even though it feels like we're backing into it more so than driving down that road. <laughs> I see you laughing. Does that mean you kind of agree? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the most popular opinion for going into week four was what, what kind of everybody pointed to is that's going to be Fields time because the first three weeks were kind of dull since the sacrificial lamb. He only made it through half that time. But yeah, we're one in, they're one and two. 
after three weeks, just like we all expected. And Fields is probably starting against Detroit, just like most of us expected. So I guess time to flush the first three weeks and the season starts now. <laughs> <laughs> it's, ugh. oh gosh. I mean, even that, I know I'm being overly optimistic. Like, this was so, so rough. But you can't hire Brian Dabble in the middle of the season. Nor can you hire Joe Brady or promote Sean Desai. I mean, maybe, maybe you could promote Sean Desai, but you got to think it would be Bill Lazor. Bears have never fired a head coach. Who knows what happens from here? Because it does feel, to your point, Jonathan, like you could make the argument this is a year well too late. But we will have to see. At the end of the day, it's it's one game. And this is something my dad would always say, right? He'd say, you're never as good or as bad as your last game. And so, for the Bears' sake, you got to hope that bears some merit. Jonathan, thanks so much for commiserating with me. Where can folks find you online? You can find me, I mainly hang out on Twitter at Jonathan underscore Wood. It's Jonathan underscore Wood one, right? Oh, is it? Oops. You think <laughs> I know this after like 10 years, but you never look at your own... Yeah, Jonathan underscore Wood one. I copy it into articles all the time. (laughs) So I have to know because I'm like, it's got a one on it. But either way, yeah, as always, Bears fans, you can find my work online at Windy City Gridiron. You can find me on YouTube at Run Pass Opinion, breaking different things down. Got a Jalen Johnson breakdown up right now, which thank God. Thank God Odell Beckham Jr. didn't just embarrass him because I was really worried about a Quinn situation happening again. (laughs) But, yeah, either way, this was a weird game to watch. (laughs) But thanks so much for hanging out and talking through it with me. Bears fans, until next time, bear down. And thanks so much for bearing with me. Support for this show comes from Vanta. Dealing with loads of spreadsheets, juggling different tools, and having to do manual security checks, it can be a headache to keep up with today's compliance and security programs. Vanta is the trust management platform that wants to simplify things and bring all your trust-building efforts under one roof, making growth smoother for your whole organization. Vanta lets you automate up to 90% of compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more. Strengthen security posture and reduce third-party risk. Get $1,000 off Vanta when you go to vanta.com slash vox. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash vox for $1,000 off Vanta. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.